Was that a result of, of her understanding of, of the role that the Jewish community played in the, in the war? Was it a combination of the intolerance plus that? And then yeah. Uh, yeah. I understand that obviously yeah. the Jewish community was allowed to return subsequently. Afterwards, so, yes. Afterwards. For, 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 for very uh, uh, special reasons. I, I mean, it was both. On the one hand, she had this very unusual, I would say, unusual. Uh, in, in, for the 18th century, it was already unusual to have this extreme anti Judaism. I wouldn't call it anti Semitism because it was not. Uh, <laughs> hostility was due to religious reasons and not to biological or racist reasons. That was, was religious anti-Judaism. And this was the one, the one point. And it, in this, uh, she followed the tradition of her ancestors who were also, had also persecuted Jews from time to time. So that was one point. But there was also a um, particular uh, reason why this happened in 1744. Uh, in Prague, I mean, there were many uh, Jewish communities in Bohemia, and the Jewish community in Prague was the largest community in Europe, and the largest um, uh, Ashkenazi community, I should say. There were more than 10,000 Jewish um, persons in Prague, and uh, 10,000 was about a quarter of uh, the population. And uh, so it was a, a rich and wealthy and uh, yeah, uh, uh, wealthy, wealthy Jewish community. And um, during the, the war of Austrian succession, the Prussians um, occupied Prague. And there was, of course, and Bohemia was her kingdom. She was queen of Bohemia. So that was a really extremely uh, uh, a dangerous situation in this war. And as so often uh, it was the case, there was a rumor about Jewish collaboration with the enemy. And uh, so um, during the Prussian occupation, um, there was this rumor, this rumor came up. And when um, the Austrian troops um, or the Prussians pulled out again uh, in uh, November 1744, the Austrian troops um, uh, committed a pogrom in Prague, and uh, which was by the Jews uh, compared this pogrom to to the persecution or, or to, to to the destruction of Jerusalem. Even so, it was a really um, yeah. There are a lot of uh, written documents about this, uh, and it was a real pogrom. And um, this was just not the worst. The worst was yet to come. After this pogrom, um, Maria Theresia decreed in December 1744 that all Jews had to leave Prague uh, by end of the year. And it was in December. And it was a very, very cold winter. So uh, she um, uh, decreed that they had to leave uh, Prague within two weeks or so, 10,000 people, imagine that, yeah, uh, in winter, very cold winter. And so um, many of her uh, ministers and of her estates, the nobility and so on, warned her and told her that this would be 
um, impossible uh, for, for practical reasons, but they, they had a lot of arguments, not only ethical arguments, but also more important economic arguments that the whole trade in Bohemia would uh, break down if um, all Jews were forced to leave. But she did not listen to her advisors. And it, it's interesting to see uh, that uh, the Jews themselves believed strongly that it was not Maria Theresia, the gracious queen, who uh, would, uh, um, would uh, persecute them, but it must be their ministers, yeah? um, evil haters of Jews uh, in her um, environs. And they were absolutely wrong. It was her uh, who was the driving force behind all that. Do you, do you um, think I'm, I'm, I'm currently researching a, the eulogy um, that was given um, uh, by Rabbi Landau, the chief rabbi of Prague, mm -hmm. on Maria Therese's death? And that eulogy was given in the synagogue, but with government officials present, uh, with a copy apparently that was given beforehand and approved. Mm -hmm. and, and, and there are authors who try to look for hints. Um, because there's so much Hebrew in that, in, in, in that eulogy that, that Rabbi Landau, if he had wanted to give hints, uh, negative hints, um, mm -hmm. without risk, probably could have done it. Um, but these authors claim that there are no hints whatsoever. The eulogy is a magnificent tribute to Maria Teresa. Is, yes. is this coming maybe from this perception that it yes. wasn't really her, uh, but rather those yes. around her that were influencing yes. her? Yes, this is very typical, very characteristic in general, not only uh, if we talk about the Jews, but for the subjects uh, at this period, at this period in general, uh, and historians call it a kind of naive monarchism. Uh, subjects would tend to uh, make um, uh, ministers and so on responsible for uh, anything evil that happened to them, but never the monarch. I mean, there was a kind of uh, naive, um, uh, naive admiration of of the monarchs as their godly rulers. I mean, they, you know, uh, this I think is very very typical, and especially in the case of the Jews, because they were really dependent, desperately dependent on the emperor or the empress in this uh, in this um, moment because the emperors of the Holy Roman Empire um, would uh, protect, or were the only rulers to protect the Jews. And there was a certain tradition of uh, the Holy Roman Empire, to, of the emperor, to um, protect the Jews against their enemies in the cities or the uh, principalities of the time. And this um, long tradition, since the late Middle Ages, was uh, of course the Jews were very uh, well aware of this, and this, and they were aware of this extreme dependency on the emperor. So they were um, they would never say anything bad about, about the empress, even not in Hebrew. Right. Okay. And even after death, and obviously her son is yeah. you know now taking over, and, and the relationship yeah. changed. Yeah. Um, did, did she have? Any personal relationships with any of the Jewish representatives at, at all? Or, or were they more of those that were maybe had a Jewish background but 
had converted and were now Catholic, um, so that was acceptable. Yeah, yeah, there was one very influential, enlightened um, uh, official, Josef von Sonnenfels, who was a converted Jew uh, and then Catholic. Um, so uh, he was he was a member of her uh, censorship commission and a very influential person uh, at her uh, in her environment. But also uh, she was she was indebted to um, uh, a, a Portuguese uh, Jewish banker um, who um, lent her a lot of money to uh, rebuild uh, to rebuild um, Schönborn. And also, um, she had a, a, I mean, court Jew, um, um, Samuel Wertheimer, whom she also uh, uh, owed uh, a lot of uh, finances and so on. So, um, there were court Jews, as in any other European court, also in Vienna, um, but she, in her, I must really say, extreme anti-Jewish uh, feelings, she uh, did not allow these Jews, even her her bankers and, and uh, court Jews, to to meet her personally, to to envisage her. I mean, she didn't want to meet them face to face. Behind a curtain, she would do it behind a curtain. Fascinating. Okay. Uh, it, it just in conclusion. What would you tell, or what do you tell young people, young students, who sometimes, this is a reaction I get sometimes, history, who, who needs history? Who needs to learn about what was, we're living in the present, the times have changed so much. What's the message that you give them that makes, you know, that, that would make history compelling as it is perhaps for, for us? Yeah. I mean, especially in this case, it is obvious that uh, we must face the fact that some of these very, very old patterns are still very, very much alive uh, and returning from time to time. Uh, and especially at the moment, uh, they are returning. If you think of certain conspiracy theories, which remind me very much of these uh, rumors and conspiracy theories of uh, the early modern and even the medieval period. So uh, this is, uh, in, in the case of Jewish history, I think it is very obvious and we have to face that and everyone should be aware of that. But in general, I would say um, it, is, it is very important to uh, know about the past because I'm convinced that you don't uh, even know your own present uh, you don't really know your own present if you are if you don't know anything about the past. Not only because um, the present developed from the past, but also um, if you, for example, deal with very very far away periods, uh, the, which seem to be very strange and very different from what we know uh, is is very uh, is taken for granted today uh, in our own um, present times. I think this is also very, very valuable just to see and to learn that um, things could always be different, yeah? that you should never take anything for granted, that, yeah, that every, nothing goes without saying. 
everything is um, is contingent, might be different. And to, to get a feeling for this huge variety of possibilities at any given moment in history, it is very important to know about very different structures and very different times. If you think of, I mean, there is a history of not only of political action, but also history of, for example, emotions, history of uh, norms and values. Um, so everything is uh, open to historical change. And uh, so I think this is something that you should be aware of. Everyone should be aware of this in order not to be trapped in your own present time. And this is, uh, would be my answer to everyone who thinks of studying history or reading history books. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. I appreciate your, your, your time today. Um, Professor, um, it, it's been a, a fascinating, short, but fascinating um, analysis of Maria Teresa and her times and her relationship with the Jewish people. Thank you very, very much. You're welcome.